0: Hey, we're going to jump into God's Word together. We are in Acts chapter 11 today. Acts chapter 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Now, he was the first Christian martyr, okay? They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus and the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord which implies they were turning from something else to the Lord okay now news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check it out and when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts we preached about that a few weeks ago I love that line he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people. Look at this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up, and through the Spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread through the entire Roman world, and this indeed happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters in Judea. It's the the first special contribution right here. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's imagine you were a scientist, and you're deep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea or someplace like that, and you come across some animal that nobody's ever seen before. Okay, Some rodent. It's got six eyes and 20 legs or something. It can fly and swim and all these things. Okay, You're going to study that thing. This is what you've been looking for. You're going to study that thing, and then because you found it, you get to do what? Name it. You get to name it. Now, I I figured that all the animals had probably been found by now. And so I I Googled this week. I'm like, what was the last new animal that was found? And there were hundreds of new animals found in 2022. Okay, hundreds. There's been dozens already found in 2023. So here's some of my favorites. There's the stream tree frog. Do you know where it was found? In a stream. Yeah, it was found in a stream. Or there's the bent-toed gecko. Turns out its toes are bent, like not, not a big surprise. Then there's DiCaprio's snail eating snake, okay? Now, what do you think it eats? Snails. And it's named after not Leonardo DiCaprio, but his mom who funded the expedition to go and find these animals, okay? So just think about this with me. If you find a thing that nobody's ever seen before, you get to name it, and we typically name it based on what it says, what it does, what it eats where it's found what it looks like okay all right in some ways this moment here in Antioch is the moment that Christians are discovered okay. now in some ways they have been interacting with people and certainly among the Jews long before this but here you have these people in Antioch who are trying to make sense of a species they have not seen before And so this is notable in in Antioch. It was a real cosmopolitan city. There were 18, we know this from archaeology and from history, there were 18 different people groups that lived in Antioch. So this would be like going to one part of town, and that's Little Italy over there or or something like that. Or or, you you go to another part of town, this is where this group of people live. That's how Antioch was. It was divided into these 18 zones, and the, the zones didn't often overlap. So, one kind of people stayed here and another kind of people stayed there. But if you've got your finger in Acts chapter 11, you might flip over to Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. And what you'll see is the diversity of the leadership of the church is remarkable. The leaders are from all over the place and they looked very different from one another. And so the people in Antioch. feel like they have to name this thing because it doesn't look like anything else around. It looks too different. Does that make sense? Are you following with me? Okay, secondly, they feel like they need to name this thing because these people are doing things that nobody else does. They're persecuted. They're driven all over the ancient world. And instead of going into hiding, they just preach louder about the very thing that got them persecuted in the first place. Nobody does that. Um, They're doing really strange things like sacrificially giving their money to help other people they don't even know who are in need in the ancient world nobody did that and they're doing that and so they're doing things that nobody else does and so they feel like they got to name these people they're different and then they're talking about stuff that nobody else is talking about luke says twice they're sharing the good news or the word of the lord jesus So they're talking about this figure that nobody else is talking about. So they look different, they sound different, and they're doing different things. And so the people in Antioch say, let's name them. These people are different from anything else we have seen. And so we got to name them something so we know who we're talking about. Are you with me? For the record, Christians had a lot of names before they're called Christians. Just in Acts, they're called uh, followers of the way, disciples, the church, Nazareans, they're called. They call each other brothers and sisters. So there's all these things that they're calling each other, but this is the moment somebody on the outside calls them something, names them. And it's fascinating to me what they name us. What do they call us? Christians. And and maybe you've heard somebody talk about this before. What do you hear in the name? Christians. Maybe you've heard it translated little Christs. Literally, it just means those who follow the one called Christ. That's, That's what it means. That's what they call us. And for the record, it was probably an insult. They were trying to name us something And what they named us, they named us um, to insult us, too. And it's a special kind of insult. How many of you have seen the movie Sandlot? The greatest movie ever made. How many of you have seen the greatest movie ever made? Sandlot, all right. Okay. Uh, sandlot is about these group of boys who play backyard baseball on this sand lot, And these boys are like the misfit toys from Rudolph. Okay, these are the boys that don't belong anywhere else. And one of the greatest scenes in cinema history is when the rich boys in their matching uniforms and matching bicycles ride up onto the sandlot. You remember this? And they walk towards each other and they start insulting each other. Okay. I was gonna uh, read you some of the, the insults and I went back and watched it and they're too inappropriate for church. I can't believe the things we let kids of the 80s and 90s watch. Like, I can't believe I turned out as good as I did. I can't believe it, okay? I can't read you, okay? I can't read you everything they said. they are things about their moms and uh, things that they eat and stuff like that, okay. But one insult, th- th- they don't mean anything. They're just the worst thing little boys can think of. But one insult sticks, and that is the insult, he says to Benny the Jet Phillips, says to Benny the Jet Rodriguez, he says, Rodriguez, you're an insult to the game. It's easy when you play with a bunch of rejects. Rejects. Now that sticks because it's true. They are rejects. And really, that's what's happening here with this name. They give us a name to insult us, and it just so happens the name is deeply true. Okay? That's what I want you to understand. Now, let me just explain a little bit more about why it's an insult. It's only that word, Christians to describe us is only used two other times in the New Testament. Only two two other times. And look at the tone each time it's used. Look at this. The first is when Paul's talking to Agrippa. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think it's such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become What I am. Isn't that fascinating? Agrippa's saying, There is no way I'd want to be associated with that name. And Paul says, Oh, I'm proud of that name. You see that? Isn't that fascinating? Look at the other time. This is in 1 Peter. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. And if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. Look at that. You know, this thing that's we're called to insult us, we grab hold of and we say, yeah, that's us. You got it right. You got it right. Isn't that something? Okay, so how can we understand this? I was talking about something in staff meeting Sunday, and um, it was it was clear that it, I was not communicating clearly, and Buster Clemens, our executive minister, he said, Eric, I think you need a pyramid to explain this, okay? So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at the person pyramid. So let's throw this up on the screen one more time. I told him, little do you know, Buster, how many pyramids I got coming Sunday, okay? So Hank, so I want you to understand this through what we've been calling the person pyramid. In this series on what's it all mean, trying to understand the deep meaning of life and how it connects to our purpose and what we do every day. So, the person pyramid is pretty simple. If you're our guest today, you haven't seen it yet. Basically, all of our actions, everything that we do every day, is based on our sense of purpose. What's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do every day? Right. But really, my sense of purpose comes from a deeper sense of the meaning of life. So the meaning of life is from what I get my purpose in life, and my purpose in life guides me in what I do every day. So... Here's what I want to think about as it relates to this passage. It would be fair to switch out that middle word, purpose, with another word, identity. Let's throw that up there on the screen. Those two words are so closely related. They're basically two sides of the same coin. So who I am on one side, what I do on the other side. So what's like a firefighter, that's who he is. What does he do? He fights fires. Okay, do you see how those are just two sides of the same coin, my purpose and identity? Okay, So it would also be fair to substitute that bottom term meaning or truth, the truth on which all life rests with the word Christ. So when I say that Jesus is the Christ, it's not just a statement about his identity. It is a statement about the fundamental truth on which all of our lives rest. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that Jesus is what God has been doing from the creation of the world That he is the one in whom all of our hopes rest. That he makes sense of everything in our life, from suffering to death, um, persecution, joy, birth, life. He makes sense of everything. That in him we live and move and have our being. In him all things hold together. Or as he says about himself, I'm the way, the what? Truth and the life. So to say that Jesus is the Christ is a statement about the fundamental truth on which our lives rest. Now here's what I love about what's happening in Antioch. The Antiochians who are watching these believers are only seeing and hearing what they say and do every day. And based on what they say and do every day, it is clear to them what they believe to be most true. Let's throw that up on the next slide. They're seeing their actions every day, but what is clear to them is the fundamental truth on which those actions rest, does that make sense? The Christ, how do we know that? Next slide, because they call them, when they give them an identity, what do they call them? Christians, you see it? Okay, the identity that they label us with is not an identity about, what we say and what we do. Like you would name the the stream frog, tree frog, or the bent-toe gecko. It's not just about what we say or what we do or what we look like. It's about why we say and do and look those ways. Do you get the difference? Okay, it's the fundamental reason we behave the way we behave, say the things we say, do the things we do, because our lives rest on the fundamental truth of Christ, and they're seeing that. Are you with me is that enough pyramids i got more coming hang tight all right all right this is what i want to see now as you're looking at that let me tell you a story a couple of weeks ago i shared a story about my dad uh, up here on stage and the story the example was about how my dad when i was growing up he would take his old underwear when it was worn out and he would use it as, as a rag in his workshop okay and so to spill, you know, clean up oil or wipe his hands off, he would use old whitey tidies. Okay, so uh, I share that in my sermon. What you don't know is that each week, Miss Michelle, our children's minister, makes this handout for the kids to follow along with my sermon. And at the end of that handout, it said, "What was your favorite part of Mr. Eric's sermon today?" And a sweet grandmother sits over here. Came up to me after church, and she was looking at her seven-year-old granddaughter who was sitting beside her, and she had filled it out just dutifully the whole sermon, and her where she wrote. My favorite part Mr. Eric's sermon is what she said, Mr. Eric said underwear. (laughs) Okay, so she senses there's some things you're not supposed to say in some places, right? There's some things we don't talk about. And for the record, my dad agrees that his underwear should not be a topic of conversation at the Highland Church of Christ, okay? So he agrees with her. We live in a world where there are things you don't talk about, right? We live in their world where there's things you don't show. Now you can talk about things that are meaningless all day long, but to talk about something that's meaningful, to reveal what you mean, what you believe to be most true. That's what you don't talk about, right? That's what you don't talk about. But look at this. The first Christians believed so strongly in what Christ Jesus had done for them and who he was, and what God was doing through him, that it showed through what they said and did every day. So much so that those on the outside could see it, and it was so clear to them who these people were, what they most believed, just based on what they said and did every day. Apparently, what was most meaningful to them was not off limits. Everybody saw it. And in a world that tells you you should never let that happen, let me just remind you what we read here. Because of this, because of what they saw to be most true in these Christians, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. J.R.R. Tolkien uh, wrote a couple of books called The Lord of the Rings. Anybody ever heard of Lord of the Rings? Probably not. And um, the, the, the title of the last book of Lord of the Rings is Return of the King. So if there's ever been something that's probably about the gospel, The Return of the King kind of gives it away. Well, this English teacher was interviewing him after he wrote these, and he said, you know, I've been reading your books, and it seems to me like there are some Christian themes in the Lord of the Rings. Was that on purpose? And Tolkien said, he said, I'm a Christian. Of course what I write will be from that essential viewpoint. What's he saying? If it's essential, it's going to come out. It's got to. So Jesus, when he gives us our identity, Jesus doesn't call us Christians. Jesus doesn't call us Christians. Remember what he calls us? He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. So how about one final pyramid? Jesus says this, you'll be my witnesses. He gives us an identity that is based on what's true. What's a witness? A witness is somebody you call to the stand and they say, I vow to tell the what? Truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. My reason for existence, according to Jesus, my purpose is to tell the truth about him with my life. One of my heroes, I'll end with this and we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. And we're gonna hear Sienna's favorite song and sing that together as we finish today. One of my heroes, Tim Keller, died this weekend. A longtime preacher, preacher, a defender of of the faith. His most famous book probably is a book called The Reason for God. And uh, it's a book that, as the title suggests, just talks about why we believe in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and why that's a a credible thing to believe and to trust your life to, to build your life on that truth. And he really spent his life articulating that, not only in sermons and speeches, but in books that were to follow the reason for God. And one of my favorite tributes to him that's come in over the last few weeks came from Russell Moore, and he said about Keller, he no longer needs to give a reason for God just to enjoy him forever. And I thought, yes. And then I thought, but first, his purpose was to give a reason for God. Before enjoying him forever, his purpose was to give a reason for him. That's ours, too.